This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Claudia Tornquist, President and CEO of Kodiak Copper Corporation, trading as KDK on the TSX Venture Exchange KDKCF in the U.S. and 5DD1 in Frankfurt. Kodiak Copper's most advanced asset is the MPD Copper Gold Porphyry Project in the prolific Cajunal Trough in southern British Columbia, Canada, where in 2020 the company made a high-grade discovery at the Gate Zone, which is part of a zone copper gold enriched envelope of significant size. Kodiak also holds the Mojave Copper Molybdenum Silver Porphyry Project in Arizona, near the world-class Baghdad mine. Both of Kodiak's porphyry projects have been historically drilled and present known mineral discoveries with the potential to hold large-scale deposits. The company's chairman is Chris Taylor, the CEO of sister company, prolific in the gold space, Great Bear Resources. Ms. Tornquist is formerly general manager at Rio Tinto, working with their copper and diamond operations. She also held the position of Executive Vice President of Business Development for the streaming company Sandstorm Gold. She's a director of Silver One Resources and former director of Kennedy Diamonds, leading the $176 million sale of the company to Mountain Province. Claudia, welcome back to the program. Great to have you on the air with us today. Thanks for having me. It's fantastic to be here, Alice. Let's take a look at 2022, the year in review. You had a great year. You drilled over 26,000 meters, 41 holes in the Gate Prime and Dillard Target areas at MPD. That's quite active for a junior in the space. It certainly is. It's the largest exploration program that we've executed so far at MPD, bigger even than last year's, which was 22,000 meters and already a large exploration program. And yeah, we're very happy with the progress we've made. We have extended our first discovery, the gate zone, to now some quite sizable dimensions. It's a kilometer in length, 350 meters across, and down to 900 meters is where we drilled mineralization. So very happy with that. We also discovered a smaller nearby porphyry trend, porphyry zone called the prime zone, where we'll also do more exploration, we'll have more results. Just recently, the latest development is the discovery of the Bayer Gold Silver Zone, which is also a very exciting new development and certainly more to come from that next year. Well, that's just a plus whether you have it exist on its own as gold or silver or call it a copper equivalent. And we don't know how big that trend is, do we? The Bayer Zone is in a large corridor of gold anomalies. This this corridor with gold on surface is 2.2 kilometers in length and several other similar looking anomalies to where we found Bayer. So we'll obviously follow up on Bayer itself and just see how much mineralization we have, where it extends, how it's oriented, etc. And then we have a whole class of new targets, all these other gold anomalies that obviously now also really moved up the priority list. And we'll certainly have a closer look at those next year as well. So I have to ask you, because you had quite an expansive drill program this year and last year, are you running out of money at all? We're not. We're fortunate in that 
that we raised money in the spring just before the market took a turn for the worse we raised another 9.6 million at the time so now even after having paid for almost all of this year's big drill program we still have 8 million in the treasury and are well financed for a lot of work next year and are under no pressure to go back to the markets to finance anytime soon so what are you going to be doing next year overall what's the goal lots more drilling in short and also obviously geophysics sampling etc but we will drill on several profit targets we started already on new targets namely the Dillard zone this year and we will drill more new targets at MPD outside of the, the gate zone our first discovery next year so that's very exciting because that's obviously the aim there is to make another gate zone type discovery and we have a number of targets lined up there that Dillard Dillard West we have man we have further down in the southern part of the property on the axe claims more targets there so multiple porphyry targets and now with the new biozone discovery we will obviously also evaluate and explore further this gold trend and the gold targets so lots of exciting drilling and exploration to come next year and i became a shareholder just at the end of last year back in december of 2021 and the stock did very very well it's at a bit of a discount now i don't see why in some investors that have been involved with your company for a while would want to let's say average down or pick up some more shares i'm certainly deciding if i'm going to do that right now what are you hearing well we've certainly seen a bit of an uptick of over the last couple of weeks the last month or two we bottomed out at 50 cents earlier in the autumn and i think at that point well lots of insiders bought i bought as well and at that point also a number of shareholders and investors just looked at us and thought well well financed lots of results coming and these share prices look very cheap so i think the trend has turned and we've seen a bit of positive momentum now but still a good profit discovery is worth a lot more than the 50 million or so market cap we have at the moment so i think there's a long way up and i certainly consider our stock at these levels a big buying opportunity and i certainly also hear from shareholders who consider there's a lot of value and both of us as investors in the company and you the ceo we are biased aren't we (laughs) (laughs) i have bought my first kodiak share in 2015 in the first financing when chris taylor just started the company and I haven't sold a single share since. Or this year, I have to look back exactly but more than 10 times, multiple times because, yeah, I think there's a lot of upside. I'm certainly looking forward to continuing our work in 2023. We have another big exploration program planned, have the potential to make one or several more discoveries in copper and now also in gold. And it'll be an exciting year, I am sure, that will be coming up for our shareholders. And I couldn't agree more. Claudia, fantastic. Great chatting with you here. I wish you all the best during the holidays and we'll talk to you i guess in 2023 excellent happy holidays to you as well and speak in 2023 i've been speaking with claudia tornquist president and ceo of kodiak copper corporation trading as kdk on the tsx venture exchange kdkcf in the u.s and 5dd1 in frankfurt find the complete story on the company's website kodiakcoppercorp.com I'm Ellis Martin. Remember, all companies showcased on this program have paid for the privilege to be interviewed by Mr. Martin. Should you consider investing in them, do so at your own risk. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Alicia Patterson, Director of Corporate Communications for Latin Metals Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as LMS and in the U.S. on the OTC as LMSQF. Latin Metals is a mineral exploration company acquiring a diversified portfolio of assets in South America primarily Argentina and Peru. The company operates with a prospect generator model. 
focusing on the acquisition of prospective exploration properties at minimum cost, completing initial evaluation through cost-effective exploration to establish drill targets, and ultimately securing joint venture partners to fund drilling and advanced exploration. Shareholders gain exposure to the upside of a significant discovery without the dilution associated with funding the highest-risk drill-based exploration. Latin Metals has recently concluded deals to option out exploration properties to a wholly owned subsidiary of Anglo Gold Ashanti, a wholly owned subsidiary of Barrett Gold Corporation, and Libero Copper. Alicia, welcome to the program. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me on. To begin with, let's have an overview of the company. What is Latin Metals? Latin Metals is a prospect generator in South America. We are focused in Peru and Argentina. And our commodities are copper and gold. You have a fantastic project generator model. Let's talk about that and how it's really great for your shareholders. As a prospect generator, our goal is to attain properties by staking. And we like to do that as cheaply as possible. Right now, Latin Metals has about 15 properties at different stages of development. This is from our own LMS exploration. So this is where we do the initial exploration, surface exploration. And then we find companies like Barrick and Angle Gold to come in and to do the drilling and partner fund that exploration. So currently we have three partners, Barrick, Angle Gold, and Liberal Copper. And they will all be drilling possibly in Q2 of next year. So that will be a lot more news coming out for Latin Metals in that regard. So two of these three companies are majors, and Libero is very active. All these companies are drilling. You're not taking on partners that are just going to sit there and do nothing. These are active companies, two of the majors. Yes, and the interesting part of this is our goal is to find companies that we can partner with that do that partner funding exploration. We want them to drill. And these companies like Barrick and Angle Gold, they're looking for a big discovery then and also it takes a while for them to their due diligence the requirements so they just don't partner with any small mining company it is literally a lot of due diligence that goes into it and research and i think it shows something about lot of metals that we have attained two of these partners so how did that happen how did you get all these choice properties and more specifically why argentina and peru and i imagine that involves you talking about your president keith henderson yes well keith henderson has a lot of knowledge working in South America. And we also have a great exploration manager, Eduardo Leon, and he's Peruvian. So I think that's something really great because he finds the property. So he, we basically have been staking all new ground in Peru and properties that had more development and exploration was the Argentina property. So that's why they were optioned out and they were, we required them from the predecessor company. You've had some interesting news come out last week with regard to your major partner, Barrick. And that involves the Cerro Bio Project located in the Seattle Massive Santa Cruz province of Argentina. They gave us data and then we decided to give an update to our general public. And it's really interesting because they have done a lot of work to it so far. That's why we think that we're beginning in Q2. They'll be starting to drill. They've done 1,000 line kilometer ground magnetic survey, geological mapping. They've done rock sampling and spectral analysis. The ground magnetic survey covered probably about 95% of the property and that was really interesting. They've done a 1,000 kilometer ground magnetic survey. So basically they have mapped out the property and I think that they've got targets for where they would like to drill once they get the permit. 
They collect a total of 729 rock chip samples have been taken to date and the sampling has been completed across the entire Cerebio property with results pending on 159 samples. Top 5% of silver and gold samples received to date have been used to highlight the most anonymous areas. Do you intend on adding any more properties to your portfolio and how do you do that? What's your method for acquisition? Well, we have 15 properties to date and one royalty property and there are different levels of exploration from optioning it out to looking for a partner to our own LMS exploration where we do the initial ground surface work. For our funnel as a prospect generator, we always want to get more properties and do this by cheaply as possibly by staking the ground and seeing what is out there. We are looking, we stake some ground and we're actually working on them. The properties that we are working or doing more exploration on are our properties in Peru. The Para and Tilo, they're our next ones that we're going to be really looking at. Tell us about the jurisdiction in Argentina and Peru. Is it a great area politically? Can we count on reliable partners with regard to local jurisdictions and the federal governments? So if you look at our map of where our projects are, especially in Argentina, where we're located, they're very friendly mining jurisdictions. So you can see also with a lot of other mining companies, they're focused in these areas because the jurisdiction is friendly to mining in Argentina. So there's about three provinces that are really friendly. And so we like to focus on provinces that have that mining friendly jurisdiction. So it's easier for us. As well in Peru, we have a mandate or we have criteria in place that we like to, when we first go into an area, we don't start doing surface work exploration. We actually like to get a community agreement and we don't like to deal with more than two local communities on a property. So even when we look at properties, we try to make sure that there is maybe one community agreement or if there's two communities, but we don't try to have land with multiple ones because then it leads to, I would say, more confusion and then you have to deal with all these people. So what we do is we firstly, we go in, have these community agreements so that they know that we're there. And then we do the surface work, the ground exploration. Then it's easier for us to get a drill permit or for the companies that we option out the property to, to get the drill permit because we've already built this relationship up within the community. With Peru, we're finding it pretty easy to work there due to the fact that the communities that we're in know about Latin Metals. With Latin Metals, we try to put community agreements in place and with not giving money, but we do irrigation projects or we work within the community to provide benefit to the schooling. We better them as a large than giving them money. A lot of Peruvian government, it comes to Lima with the money from mining companies, but the money doesn't actually get to these smaller rural communities. So this is why we've decided on this path, just for your reference, why we're doing these community agreements within the communities itself so they actually get something. That makes sense. Now tell us about the share structure of the company. 49.6% is owned by management and the board. And then the rest is very tightly held with core shareholders. How many shares in the float, Alicia? We have issued an outstanding about 69.9 of shares out. Alicia, it's been a nice introduction to Latin Metals. I look forward to a long and mutually beneficial relationship with your company over the next 12 months. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you so much for having me and I hope you have a wonderful holiday.
and you as well. I've been speaking with Alicia Patterson, Director of Corporate Communications for Latin Metals Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as LMS and in the U.S. on the OTC as LMSQF. Go to the company's website, latin-metals.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join Ellis now for a conversation with Ali Haji, the CEO of Ion Energy, trading in the U.S. on the OTC as IONGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as ION. Ion Energy is committed to exploring and developing Mongolia's lithium salars, which includes the Babaul and Ergenaron project. ION's flagship 81,000-hectare Babaul lithium brine project represents the largest and first lithium brine exploration license awarded in Mongolia. ION Energy is well-poised to be a key player in the clean energy revolution, positioned well to service the world's increased demand for lithium. Ali, welcome back to the program. I visited with you about a week ago or so in London. How is the trip? How did it work out for you? I think London was good. Primary purpose for me was to be a presenter and panelist at the Minex Forum, which is a Eurasian-centric mining panel that occurs in Tashkent and various other cities in, in Eurasia. But having sort of a, an audience in London that understands uh, Eurasia was rather refreshing. So I think all in, really happy to have been a part of that conference and rather fruitful, to say the least. You have some fantastic news that just came out. Let's break it down. Impressive results at the Urgok Naran project in Mongolia. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you look at where we were at the start of this year when we chatted with you and your audience, we were sort of looking at de-risking Urgak Naran, which is 29,000 hectares in Don Gobi province, sort of in the south end in the Gobi deserts of Mongolia. We started the exercise with a few auger holes, 83 to be precise. We collected brine samples on surface up to 918 milligrams per liter of lithium. Some very exciting stuff. And that prompted us to do a TEM geophysics program. That geophysics program ran 100 line kilometers across the entire basin to better understand where the low resistivity zones were within that asset. That ultimately showed us that half an ohm cutoff, which is extremely conservative for any lithium player around the world, we had 9.9 billion cubic meters of low resistivity. At six and a half ohm cutoff, we had 22.7 billion cubic meters of low resistivity. We then started a drilling program that included diamond holes, so three diamond holes and three water well holes. The three diamond holes have now been completed, and of course those assay results have been returned to us. And that's what the press release yesterday really speaks about. And some of the highlights there in terms of UNDH01, which is our first hole, we have 123 meters at 278 ppm lithium from about 122 below surface. Maximum grade reported there was about 832. On the second hole, we had 100 meters at 362 ppm from about 65 meters with maximum grade at 601. And then at UNDH03, we had 360 ppm over 71.4 meters from about 3.6 meters with a maximum grade again of a very significant number, 911 ppm. And that's important because if you look at our peers or anybody else that might be operating in sort of the northern hemisphere, if you want to call it that, most people that are following lithium tend to think, you know, Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, which is where you have these solars that are at 4,000 meters above sea level. They are using evaporation primarily for lithium extraction. And the altitude allows them to do so. Whereas if you look at North America today, one that understands lithium or is following lithium as an industry, Albemarle, which is a global major today producing lithium, has the only producing asset from a brine perspective in North America. And where is that? It's at Silver Peak in Nevada, 1,300 meters above sea level, evaporation ponds. Based on the very similar drilling programs that Ion Energy has just conducted, their maximum grade was 121 ppm. 
Looking at the grades that we have today and the results that we put out yesterday, we're well above 300 ppm lithium. If you compare apples to apples, I think if you look at our elevation at 1,000 meters, there's a 1,300. Of course, the volume that I indicated earlier as a result of the geophysics, we're sitting on something rather significant. And we're very excited that the grades are, call it twice or a tad more, higher than a global major that is the only producing lithium brine project in North America. So essentially, Albemarle being the only major producer active in the U.S., in Nevada, in an area where a lot of junior companies have had difficulty doing anything, you've got grades that are much better than what lies in Nevada. This is really a global story. What is the next step? Are you going to become a producer or at some point, hopefully when the share price is higher than it is now, do you take on a company like that and bring this into production? What's the plan going forward? Because I'm excited at the same time. I'm just curious as to what the game plan is now with this kind of important news. Of course. And I think, you know, our listeners and our viewers and and everybody that's following us has to be very aware that we are 12 to 18 months behind everybody else in the lithium game with respect to the capital markets today. Lithium, of course, as of last week, trading at 85,000 per ton in China. But they are operating in jurisdictions or regions where they have the necessary skill set to advance their assets. We are operating in Mongolia. We are first movers. We have no proximity place. So nobody beside us has gone out there and found a resource. We only had access to Mongolia at the start of this year. And since then, we've done a fair bit of work at Urgot Naran to de-risk. And of course, we've shown the market as of yesterday, the grades that are called industry beating, to say the least. And that's why we lag behind our peers from an equity perspective. Will we go out there and look for acquisitions outside of Mongolia or in the Americas, for instance? That's very unlikely. I think given our proximity to the largest consumer on the planet, that being China, our goal would be to have a strategic investment come in to the company, validate our findings, but more importantly, show the world that Mongolia is a jurisdiction in which you can find lithium. Given our proximity again to the Chinese market, I think that's of importance. Korea, Japan, Taiwan, all massive consumers of lithium as well. And being in that part of the world with the grades that we're seeing today, we're very, very excited, but we're not looking for acquisition opportunities outside of Mongolia. We may look to consolidate within Mongolia or within the Eurasian sort of subcontinent, but that's our focus. And we've now found that we're first movers, but we've shown, in fact, through drilling and a team that is sound, that's worked on neo-lithium, lithium Americas and others, that this is a quality asset with significant scale that requires a tad bit more work. Well, I'm taking a look around the space right now, and I remember a company called Standard Lithium, which was a penny stock probably three, four years ago. They're trading around $5 now, and they're in the state of Arkansas in the U.S., and really there aren't a lot of really strong stories in the lithium space to begin with, and being first movers in Mongolia with the amount of traveling that you do around the world and, of course, being on the air with us to get the story out, I would think with this kind of grade, which is significant in an area where you don't have the problems that you do with evaporation ponds in Nevada. That's just not going to happen outside Albemarle. I would think that there'd be even more interest in what you're doing, not just with the Chinese 15 miles from your border, but with Taiwan and Japan and Korea looking forward about five to 10 years, because it's not necessarily what's available now. It's the coming crunch for critical metals and minerals within the next five, 10, 20 years. And the lack of, yeah, there's lithium everywhere, but it's just not economic. It's not doable. You have that. How do you attract that investment at this point that you need? We've been having conversations 
discussions with various strategics and they actually approached us well before we sort of wanted to have those conversations. We were an early stage company. I would say that, uh, you know, Bavaiola is the asset we went public on. We need a fair bit of auger drilling on that asset to, to better understand it. And then last year we acquired Urgaknaran. We completed a bought deal as well to, to help sort of expand our horizons in country as first movers. And we had a lot of inbound from strategics, not only the Asian market, but of course the Europeans as well have been rather keen to look at Mongolia. Germany, for instance, has a fantastic sort of relationship with Mongolia. They lovingly refer to it as Mongolai. We've seen more and more sort of Western organizations look at Mongolia as a potential for investment. And as a result of that, we've had a number of conversations over the last 18 months or so with strategics literally globally. And those conversations continue to advance. A number of them have access to our data room and they continue to evaluate what we're putting forward as well as the work that we have been doing. It's a matter of time, maybe weeks, months or quarters until a strategic that has either operations in terms of exploration, development or production around the world starts to pay real attention to ion energy and come in for what we've always described as a toehold investment of sub 9.99%, purely on the basis of validating the prospectivity of Ion Energy's assets, but importantly, showing everybody that Mongolia is a jurisdiction in which you may find lithium. And so those are conversations we continue to have. I would be very keen to announce something as quickly as possible. And of course, we will continue those conversations. Still early days, but for our listeners today, don't hold your breath. So you've done enough work really to attract a partner right now. It's not like you haven't spent money. It's not like you haven't had drilling. You've got these great results. You're not exactly greenfield. And I would think that at any moment, at any time, you can have a, a major player come in and take up to 5%. We just don't know when, but it's certainly possible, right? Correct. And those are conversations we continue to have as a company, as a board, as advisors. And I think I'm not going to say it's imminent, but I think that's always been the path that the company's chosen to take. And those conversations continue. Around early March, we can expect the team to get out there and use the various equipment that we've acquired that is globally recognized for brine collection in terms of calculating average grade across the brine columns. But as you said, Martin, the results thus far are indicative of something that would garner the attention of various strategics and players that are global in nature. How many shares have you got outstanding right now? Just over 60 million shares outstanding today. So a rather tight cap table. There are a few warrants at 70 cents that expire at the end of 2023 or sort of mid-2023, so a fair bit of time on those. We did our last 50 cents a unit with a 70 cent warrant. We're, of course, trading at 20, 20 and a half Canadian here today, so a significant discount relative to our prior placements. But the advantage that ION has, of course, is that we are funded. All our exploration on Orgatnaran has been paid for. We have no debt outstanding in terms of exploration. There's enough capital in the Treasury today to keep us going up until around, I would call it June, as a very conservative estimate. And that ultimately will bring us closer to that inferred resource that we're working towards as a company as well. And I would say you have some room with that very tight float for some dilution should a major player come in and help further your exploration and development efforts. Yes, no, I would agree with that. But I think dilution is not something that we view as a possibility. You know, one, because management and insiders hold 25% of the company. We've invested heavily at every round and we continue to be shareholders that are escrowed. We've never sold a share. We continue to buy on market. And the capital that we have on hand today will bring us to inferred resource. We start looking at inferred resource and pull your relative comps, your valuation grows significantly. And I think that's where the strategics recognize the value and they continue to have conversations with us. Any strategic that were to come in to the company in terms of a private placement or otherwise, our terms are simple. 
you're coming in at a premium to the last placement, which was, of course, 50 cents a unit. You say you're 16 months to 18 months behind the curve compared to other projects around the world, but in Southeast Asia and in Asia in general, things can happen very, very fast there. You can catch up quickly, can't you? Yes, absolutely. So the reason we're behind everybody else in the market is, of course, the fact that we had no access to Mongolia until earlier this year. And Mongolia is a country in which we are movers in the lithium space. The last thing we wanted to do as an organization is spend shareholder capital on an exploration program that doesn't quite align with Argentina, Chile, or Bolivia, or Nevada, or Arkansas, for that matter. Exploration program. This year, we went in, we went in hard and heavy. And as a result, everybody during the pandemic had the opportunity to advance their assets because they had the skill in country. ION did not. And now that we have access to country, we're accelerating our programs and, of course, call it from a greenfield asset earlier this year at Urgaknaran. We are on track to produce inferred resource in the first half of 2023. I'll be looking forward to that. Ali, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thanks, Martin. Ellis has been speaking with Ali Haji, CEO of Ion Energy, trading in the U.S. on the OTC as IONGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as ION. Learn more. Head to the company's website, ionenergy.ca. That's ionenergy.ca. This is the Ellis Martin Report. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Dane Callian, CEO of Infinity Stone Ventures, trading on the CSE as GEMS, that's G-E-M-S, and in the U.S. on the OTC as G-E-M-S-F. Infinity Stone's mission is to be a one-stop shop, single sources supplier for the critical energy metals being used in the clean energy revolution. Infinity Stone is meeting the demand from battery and wind turbine manufacturers, nuclear and hydrogen energy producers, producers and energy metal speculators by acquiring majority interest in critical minerals projects in stable mining friendly jurisdictions close to final use destinations in North American manufacturing hubs. With six projects in mining friendly jurisdictions such as Quebec and Ontario, Infinity Stone's portfolio includes lithium, graphite, copper, gold, platinum and palladium. Zane, welcome back to the program. Great to have you on the air with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Alice. As a shareholder of the company and a copper bug, I can't help but notice these incredible sampling grabs that you have here at the Zenwu Berry Project of 15.5% copper in a world where many consider 1% or 2% copper really good. Yeah, so it is a surface sample, so I can't say that it's indicative of the average grade across the entire project, but I can say that it is very promising and does suggest that it's worthy of further work on the project. The Zen project is one of our earlier projects that we acquired or optioned, and we have built a lot of value there over the summer. We did an initial surface sampling programs, stripping, some channel sampling, and then we built that into doing a geochem analysis, soil sample analysis in mid-summer, but I think that completed it towards the end of August. And we've had great results thus far. I think we're seeing a lot of promise there. We're rolling into flying a geophysics survey this week. Our geophysicist is flying out there as we speak. So lots of promise on the project. We're going into a pretty exciting copper market. Obviously, we've seen gold move over the past couple of weeks. And I think we're going to see copper move going into next year. And we're pretty excited to kind of continue to build value there. And I think we also see a lot of opportunity for that particular project to either spin it out or JV it with another partner, just in kind of the work that we've done there. I'm trying to get my head around how you would do that, especially when you also have nickel and cobalt there too. I mean, you're a battery metals company. How do you spin that out? We're spinning it out to the benefit of all our shareholders, right? The kind of the model of the project generator model is to really derive value in these projects individually for the shareholders. 
as well. So one of the ideas would be to spin it out to another into its own vehicle where all of the shareholders of GEMS would receive a share. But these are all just potential ideas at the moment, but lots of interesting ideas that could really get shareholders a lot of value in these projects. Will you hold on to something and develop it for yourself? Depending on the project, we probably will hold on to one or two of these projects and really put a lot more investment into them. But at this point, I think everything's on the table. We're just looking at all the opportunities, any partners that want to do offers on these projects. We just see a lot of value for shareholders in being able to get exposure individually as well as in the vehicle as well. Everything's on the table at this point. The Buddha Lithium Project, let's talk about that. Yeah, so the Buddha Lithium Project, again, one of our earlier projects, did do a initial sampling program between June and July this year. Got great results, got some really great indications of LCT mineralization on the two pegmatites, the Buddha pegmatite and the steep rock pegmatite. And yeah, we got surface samples as high as 367 ppm for lithium and very, very high rubidium numbers in excess of 2000 ppm, I believe. And what that really has done is given us the opportunity to really derive value there. So we think that there's a lot of opportunity to, to continue to invest on that project. And we were just in the process of shutting down our drill program at Rockstone on the graphite. And we realized that we could probably reposition that drill to the Buddha. It's only 30 kilometers away very, very quickly before the end of the year. So we have repositioned that drill to the Buddha and they're supposed to begin start their program today, actually drilling two holes on the Buddha, which we hope to wrap up that program in the next week or two and we'll be on our way. Very few companies have high-purity graphite, and some companies alone exist with only a graphite project, yet you have a whole portfolio of a palette of pretty much almost everything in the battery metal space. Let's talk about Rockstone. Rockstone has been a probably one of the more developed projects in the portfolio. Really, we have put a lot of focus on it just for two reasons. One, there is identified grade in historical drilling, and we've conducted a follow-on drill program over the past four weeks. And the initial visual results of the core are very, very promising. So we're pretty excited to get those results back, get the assays back from the core. But overall, we did hit massive graphite visually on all of our holds. We're pretty excited. We have a little bit better understanding of the structure now. And I think we're going to further extend that with continual drilling early next year, as well as some downhole geophysics. Rockstone is probably where we're going to put a lot of focus going into 2023. And one, obviously, the results having that 25% graphite over 24 meters, it's great grade. It's very great indication. We also have great metallurgy. We're conducting our metallurgy program with SGS, and that's continually ongoing. But what's even more exciting is the market for graphite. Lithium has seen this great run over the past, call it, 12 months, especially driven by the market in Australia. What we're seeing with graphite is, I think, we believe that graphite really is kind of the next lithium. The production in China is shutting down as it does kind of seasonally, but then in China, you also have lots of other macroeconomic factors and geopolitical factors that are contributing to kind of tightening of supply. And with that, we think the market for graphite is going to increase. And graphite is a key piece of these lithium ion batteries. And I think it's really going to be a good market for it. And we're kind of in the right place at the right time, we believe. Do you think we're going to see a shift altogether with regard to Eastern Canada and the ability for that region to produce so many necessary battery metals and critical minerals that China really is going to have a problem with doing? The core driver of all of this is going to be the idea of having a domestic supply chain, so a North American supply chain, where not only are you producing the end products, batteries and the EV cars, but you also have production of the raw minerals. There's going to be a lot of pieces necessary for that, but the governments, both the Canadian government and the U.S. government, are investing so heavily in this. And they just see the opportunity to really kind of grow the economy and inject the economy with a lot of growth in an industry that they really want to support, right? Like everyone's moving towards this net zero and reducing carbon emissions, etc. 
And this is one of those industries that really is going to continue to drive that. And bringing those supply chains home is also going to foster economic growth as well. With all that you have going, I don't believe, and this is me talking, that your share price is really indicative of your potential market value at all, not even close. Obviously, see potential upside in, in all of our initiatives, and we've done a lot over the past six months, and we have a lot in the pipeline moving forward. So we're continuing to grow the business. We're going to continue to invest in all of our projects, continue to build shareholder value, and we see a lot of potential upside going into 2023. Zane, it's always great to chat with you. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. I look forward to an update soon on one of your seven, count them, seven projects in Canada. Thank you again, sir. Thanks, Alex. I've been speaking with Zane Callion, CEO of Infinity Stone Ventures, trading on the CSE as GEMS and in the U.S. on the OTC as GEMSF. Go to the company's website now and download their investor presentation, infinitystone.ventures. That's infinitystone.ventures. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. In this segment of the Ellis Martin Report, I speak with Dr. Paul Wessels, the president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange as WRN. Western Copper and Gold Corporation is developing the Casino Project, Canada's premier copper gold mine in the Yukon Territory, and one of the most economic greenfield copper gold mining projects in the world. The Casino Project hosts approximately 7.6 billion pounds of copper, as well as 14.5 million ounces of gold, one of the largest projects of its kind, again held by a junior mining company in the world. Major mining operator Rio Tinto Canada made a $25.6 million strategic investment to advance the company's casino project in the Yukon just last year. And today I'm sitting down with Dr. Paul Wessels at Mines and Money in London, England. Paul, welcome back to the program here at Mines and Money. Great to see you again. Always great to talk to you, Alice. Tell me something. You must be pretty excited about what's happening in the world of commodities right now, especially with copper. Bit of an uptick in the sector and some optimism at the show. It's been really interesting. We're here at Mines and Money. Been absolutely back-to-back meetings. I won't name names, but a few of my gold peers have been a little bit more quiet. Certainly copper is it's an exciting spot to be in. I mean, it's an exciting metal to be in. Lots of interest, a lot of interest in battery metals. And yeah, I mean, very, very good meetings here. I was being interviewed yesterday by Kitco, Paul Harris, my friend over there, and he asked me to talk about companies that might be involved in M&As. And I said much, much more than you can say about your own company. And as a shareholder of Western Copper and Gold, I'm pretty excited about your relationship with Rio Tinto, and it's been extended a bit further. The agreement we have with Rio, they've got certain rights, board observer, rights to a technical committee, a few other things. They had a one-time right to extend that for a year. They executed that right last week. You think about that, it means two things. One, they continue to be interested, which I know because I talk to them all the time, but now the market knows that. And the second thing, which is maybe not as exciting, is that it's taken them longer to make their minds up about what the next step is going to be, which knowing these big companies like Rio Tinto, this really probably isn't a big surprise to anyone. But we're continuing to work with them. It's been a great relationship and it's going to take a little bit longer here, but things are still headed in the right direction. Well, it's taking everybody longer to get everything done. And that's been the case for the past three years now with COVID and the supply chain issues. I know that's not really a part of it, but they do have the luxury as to everybody else who's saying, you know what, I need a little bit more time. Which is 
is frustrating as a shareholder, and of course I'm a shareholder as well as the CEO, but the project itself though, I mean, I'll just remind your listeners, 11 billion pounds of copper, 21 million ounces of gold in the Yukon. I was actually just talking to one of our neighbors here actually just 15 minutes ago before we started talking. Like that district is amazing. I mean, we've got Newmont with the coffee project right next to us. White Gold, who on the Betty property, which is 10 kilometers away, is getting gram and a half, two and a half grams. I mean, just incredible gold results. It's just an exciting area to be developing a project in. Well, Yukon has come a long way in the last 10 years since I've been coming up there and been affiliated with you and this particular company. And we have yet to see what it's going to look like there, economically speaking, and what kind of boom we'll see when everything really gets moved into production. Absolutely. And what's been interesting in the Yukon over the last little bit is we're starting to get attention also from the federal government. I actually met with Minister Champagne, who is the federal minister of economic development. Three weeks ago, I guess now, he's really excited about the Yukon. He's wanting to help out moving things up there. It's about where are we going to get critical minerals? How are we going to supply the world with those critical minerals? And the North, Canada are key parts of that story. I think what investors are looking for and what I've been hearing chairing these panels here in London is companies that are involved in either near production, production, or M&A, because a lot of the juniors are just struggling. It's so hard to get money, but not if you're targeting companies that are involved, again, in M&As and near production. Exactly. And we've got Rio. They just extended. Sure, they've got another 12 months, but really, we're down to 99% of the work that we've agreed to do with them is done. The last little bit of work, I'm waiting for one more report on the metallurgy, for example, and we'll be releasing those results. We're getting down to the very final bit and pieces of this. Things look very, very good. Very excited about where this is going to go. So why aren't you staying in Whitehorse or Vancouver with all this hope and potential good news coming along? Why are you here on the road? Why do you need to come out and look for more money? Yeah, I guess it is mines and money. You know what? I'm not looking to raise equity. I'm looking for people to go out and buy some stock in the open market because nothing makes negotiations easier than having a nice high share price. So we had a great day yesterday. We were up 11% and we've actually had a pretty good year. Even compared to our copper peers, we've done better than most. This is a story, I mean, we're sitting at a 300 million market cap with a project that's got a net present value of 2.3 billion. This is an easy investment decision. Clear path through permitting. We'll see where things go with Rio here, but this is early next year, first half of next year, likely. Dr. Paul Wessels, my friend, always good to see you. Thanks so much for sitting down with me here at Minds and Money in London. It's always a pleasure, LS. I've been speaking with Dr. Paul Wessels, the president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold Corporation. Trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange as WRN. Go to the company's website, westerncoppercorp.com. I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm an investor with Western Copper and Gold Corporation. Visit ellismartinreport.com. 